White Castle presents CEO Lisa Ingram. My great-grandfather opened White Castle in 1921, which is why I'm excited to announce the new 1921 slider, inspired by how we made them 100 years ago with a 100% beef patty topped with cheddar cheese, caramelized onions, tomato, lettuce, and pickles. Come see why originality never goes out of style. I'm Lisa, but you can call me the Slider Queen. White Castle. Long live sliders. Pasteurized processed cheese at participating castles. Texting privacy policy in terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting and rules for occurring automated text marketing messages. Message and data rates may apply. Reply stop, opt out. The pandemic has been hard on all our kids. New studies show more than one in three children who started school in the pandemic now need intensive reading help. Here's the good news. Your child can be reading in just 30 days, guaranteed, with Hooked on Phonics. My first grader was behind in reading, and this program has made a huge difference. She's now reading above grade level. I use it for my kids' nightly reading for school. We love it, and it's super easy and quick to do. My kid, who just turned four years old and has been using the program since January of this year, can now read read. Thank you so much, Hooked on Phonics. Even if your child has been struggling, Hooked on Phonics will teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. And right now, you can get started for just $1. Text the word KID to 323232 right now. It's fast and easy. Text KID to 323232 and teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. Text the word KID to 323232. Text KID to 323232. Welcome back to another week of the Razzball Prospect Podcast. This is your host, Ralph Lifshitz, and I'm here with Lance Brozdowski. As always, we have a big show today. We're going back to sort of more of our traditional type of format where we do the five by five. We go back and forth with some players. We get 10 players we're going to talk about today, but we've had a lot of action in the minor leagues. This is a busy time of year. A lot of players changing organizations because of the trade deadline. Lots of trades. Lots of prospects. I wouldn't say too many big name prospects outside of Francisco Mejia that have moved, of course. So we talked about him last week. We're going to talk about some of the other ones. There's been some call ups as well. Lance, welcome to the show. I, I like totally buried the intro there, but how are you, man? <laughs> I'm great. You just got back from the Cape watching a game. And I, I just got back from eating a whole lot of teriyaki chicken. So that is where our priorities are, Ralph. Yours is baseball and mine is food. Chicken. No, chicken. Right, yeah, chicken. it's good. It's really good. But now I'm very full <laughs> and I don't want to move. So I'm sitting and I'm excited to talk some prospects and call-ups and, and baseball, Ralph. How you been, man? Good. good? I've been doing well. I've been good. doing well. I've seen a few games of late. I've uh, been to three games since Saturday. It's nice. It's Thursday night. And uh, I went to the Hall of Fame one of those days as well. So you did? I've had- any, any snippets of info about that? What's it like? Oh, so it was a blast. And of course, induction weekend is this weekend. So um, 
I believe Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is not going to play Saturday and Sunday because he's going to be at his dad's induction ceremony. I know he's at a signing event in the middle of the day Ooh. on Saturday in Cooperstown. So if that's the case, I'm guessing he's there for a couple of days, which makes sense. I mean, your father's being inducted. New Hampshire, I wonder if after that, he's in New York, mm, halfway there. Do they move him? Do they move him up to Buffalo? So could this be his last uh, his last hurrah this weekend or tomorrow night? Yeah, in Hart in Hartford, no less. Uh-huh. Uh, the, the the forest wallless Hartford. Yes, this is kind of interesting. Uh, who actually changed sides? He's going to be in the other team today. <laughs> we will definitely get into that. Um, yeah, but that's an interesting one. But it yeah, sounds like so Cooperstown was good. Cooperstown was good. It was really yeah. fun. I haven't been there in I don't know when was the last time you went. I went when I was very young, probably 12 or 13, so that's about okay. 10 years ago Same. for me. Same, and that was about 25 years ago for me, so mm-hmm. um, <laughs> I just dated myself. But, yeah, so it's been a really long time. I mean, it was the early 90s. I think it was like, I want to say like George Brett was the last guy that had been inducted. I think it was a year. The year was there. There were no inductions that year, so it was kind of a boring year, I guess, for the, as far as the Hall of Fame, where this year – There were a ton of inductions, you know, obviously Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Trevor Hoffman, Chipper Jones, um, uh, Alan Trammell finally made it. uh, Jack Morris made it. And, oh, there's there's one more I'm 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 totally spacing on here. And and obviously that's awful because it's a Hall of Famer and I have a mug of all these guys, too. (laughs) Um, I I said Hoffman. Um, all right. Anyway, but so it's a relatively, it's a relatively, you know, big, important class. Um, Vlad's a big one. Chipper is a huge one. So, um, there's a, you know, they had all their stuff set up there. They had the plaque areas where they hadn't been, you know, fixed to the wall yet. And they've already been autographed by all the players. So I guess they've already sort of been there or they autographed the, the like the base of the plaques. Mm-hmm. So, um, you walk in and, it, and it's cool because they hand you baseball America. Right. Oh, I love so, it. Free, free baseball America magazine. The kids are excited to get bubble gum and all that sort of stuff, you know, and it's all like, you know, sort of like got people in their 20, 20s or like retired men and women that like take tickets are super nice. Everybody shows you around. They have like free tours of the, of the plaque room um, that are like 10 minute walking tours. And they kind of take you around, explain some stuff to you, drop a couple of gems on you from some of the olden days type players. Mm-hmm. And then it sort of unleash you into the museum. So they have uh, in the first floor, like all these famous paintings, you know, the actual like Norman Rockwell's like the like the, the rained out game and some of those paintings like the Casey at bat painting, really famous, like base mm-hmm. pieces of baseball artwork. And that's just kind of cool to see with the kids and and check out and see like, a, you know, a well-known Norman Rockwell picture, like right in front of you. And like that's like the actual painting. Like It's crazy. So you go up to the next floor and it's sort of like uh, all like the origins of baseball. And it's like really old bats and really old balls and really cool to see all that stuff. And it just, I'll, I'll make a long story short. It sort of progresses you through each step and progression of the game mm-hmm. players wise, as well as technologies wise, as well as like, you know, dominant teams and all. So it, it really is like a walking history of the game. They do a really good job of it. You know, even filling in some Jose Canseco shade, they have the home run that bounces off of Canseco's head runs on a loop there next to the steroid exhibit. So uh, they're definitely digging in and Jose Canseco. I thought that was kind of a funny one. Um, and they added like some kids areas and like, you know, it's, it's a really, really neat place. It's a nice town. I wish I could have stayed for a couple of days. I was coming back from my sister's house. She lives in uh, Cortland, which is outside of Ithaca. She works for Cornell and um, 
we took in a game in Binghamton the night before. Of course, we had bought tickets. Uh, my sister, being a sort of a pop culture junkie, not a baseball junkie, was only interested in going to the Binghamton game. Uh, they were facing Trent and the Yankees double-A affiliate. So I guess it was kind of like the baby Subway series. I'm cool. the only one that calls it that. Um, <laughs> and she wants to see Tim Tebow. Of course. Of course. Of course. It's our curse. Tim yep. Tebow. Breaks the hammock, you know. It's it's the it's the new Tommy John for hitters or something. It's like the yeah, in vogue it injury. Like it. It's like it's like what obliques used to be, you know. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so we didn't see Tebow, but I did get a very good look at Justin Dunn, which we'll talk about later, as well as Trevor St- uh, Steven, who's a, a very interesting right-hander with like a sort of a, a really low three-quarter arm slot, throws a, a fastball, uh, changeup, and a really interesting slider that's like in the mid seventies. He, huh. he drops down from like ninety-five to seventy-four. He was interesting, and I got to sit next to uh, a Yankee scout, a Royals scout, and a Mets scout. I uh, talked to the Yankees guy a lot, talked to the Royals guy a lot, and he didn't know Nick Prado's name and thought he was from Florida oh, as opposed to California. And it, it just made me laugh. He's like, how's our first baseman doing? Oh, God. Uh, well, <laughs> I figured that. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I, I, well, I figured these guys are area scouts. They don't yeah, necessarily yeah, know course. the whole system like we do, but they know a lot of different players and yep, whatever. Yep. He also had a very gaudy uh World Series rings, so I thought that was kind of fun. But <laughs> he doesn't uh, know Nick Prado. It's interesting. <laughs> no, no, yeah, that's fine. That's fine. I get it. Uh, yeah, you know, I do all the names. I was throwing. Out, I was like, I was like, yeah, this Kyle Isbell kid that you guys drafted. Yeah. I've been digging in on him. I love the lefty swing. You know, blah blah blah. He's really proven. He's like, yeah. And I'll tell you, man, that's Khalil Lee kid. He's gonna be a star superstar. I'm telling you, he's the best <laughs> player in our system. He loved him, and, he, and then he and then he drops some like double a uh, triple a reliever love love lady on me the yeah, one I told you sent you about. Me that. yeah yeah the numbers are kind right. of pedestrian but hey maybe he's uh maybe he's something interesting for like you know bullpen guy and you know kc they always they always seem to produce a couple of interesting pen arms so that's what i've been up to with my travels since uh last week when i embarked on my uh my new york adventure I love it, Ralph. That, that's that's amazing. No, I, I always like hearing about the Cooperstown. I knew you were, you were sending me some pics of, uh, or sending the Slack, the Raz30 Slack group, some pictures of Stand Man's jersey, which I enjoyed and some other stuff. So uh, it sounds like a good weekend. I got uh, on tap. I'm trying to go see, obviously, Mackenzie Gore as much as possible. Potentially speaking with Hunter Green now, too. So I'm pretty excited for that. I might be going out to Dayton. But oh, wow. That's great. They're Louis actually. Pacino. Get yes, some Louis Pacino looks. I need I to. Love this he kid. pitches like during the week, and it's like I, ha- I can only do like Friday, Saturday, Sunday trips. So uh, there's a very, very small chance that I think next weekend, next Friday, there or even Thursday or Friday, there might be a Hunter Green Mackenzie Gore matchup, um, which would be absolutely Ooh. bonkers because they're both pitching. No, Gore pitched pitches tomorrow. Hunter Green pitched today, so they might offset. But there's a very small chance that maybe they aligned based on how much rest they're giving them. So. I keep keeping an eye out for that because I think those games should be on MLB, MILB TV, I believe, from what I was looking. I could be wrong, but those are fantastic matchups. And I think Patino's in there somewhere as well. I've been meaning to get a look at him, but I haven't. So he's another one on my list as well. But what do you say we get into some cops here, Ralph? Um, do you want to run through the cops? I see you, you wrote them down here, so I figured he might have a little more background than me. And then we could get into trades right after this. Yeah, I wanted to mention two guys. One of them I think we'll talk about a little bit later. But Isaac Paredes and uh, uh, Andreas Jimenez were both called up to Double uh, A Eastern League. Paredes to Erie. Jimenez, a few days after I left Binghamton, got called up to Binghamton. So uh, those are two teenagers that really, really showed quite well uh, in a tough offensive environment in the Florida State League. I think those are interesting call-ups and guys that you should track because they are two of the top-performing teenagers in uh, high A-ball this year. So interesting names. We'll see what they do from uh, now to the end of the season in Double A. Got about five 
or so weeks remaining in the season there. And Paredes actually in his first week, we'll talk about a little bit later, has been pretty impressive. Ranger Suarez made his uh, MLB debut tonight. I don't know if you checked the box score on that one. I don't know uh, how he performed or not. Uh, Garrett Garrett Hampson was called up uh, to the Rockies, which I think is pretty interesting. So a bad rumor about Brendan Rodgers getting traded. I don't think that's going to happen. Real bad one. (laughs) Uh, I know it was terrible. Willie Willie Calhoun uh, has been up with a big league club for, I think, about a week now. Uh, I I wanted to get your take on also Jeff McNeil uh, was finally called up by the Mets. I don't know how much he's played, though. I know he didn't play much the first couple of games, but I want to get your opinion on a couple of. Cardinals pitchers. Of course, yeah. I know there's there's a third one coming up too, so maybe we'll make it a trio of Cardinals pitchers. Dakota Hudson is uh, going to be making his major league debut pretty soon. Uh, mm-hmm. I know Ponce was it Daniel Ponce de Leon. Yep, correct. Was, yeah, very uh, French. Was, Ponce de yes. Leon. Like or, or or you know Portuguese or Spanish. Yeah, one or the other. Um, I'm very yeah. uh, a little Spanish. A little bit <laughs> oh, Spanish. It. I don't know what it that's is. That's a that's a Spanish word. De, de Leon, like Ponce of, the, of Leon. Yeah, like, you you're know, right. like uh, you know, damn. like the like the Fountain of Youth, the Conquistador, that whole thing. Uh, oh God. And then uh, Austin, it's Austin Gomber, right? Yeah, so, I believe it. Gomer, Gomber, I I, I could check baseball Gomber. reference, but yeah, Austin Gomber. So uh, Ponce de Leon, Austin Gomber, and Coda yep. Hudson. I was interested in what your thoughts sure. were. Uh, Absolutely. It looks like the Cardinals are giving these guys a shot. And, you know, how do you sort of rank those guys out? And, you know, what are your long term sort of, uh, I guess, projections for three? Yeah, I actually just wrote a column on Ponce de Leon. So I kind of dug into him a little bit deeper than I usually do for most guys on the Cardinals side. But uh, um, I enjoy Ponce de Leon. I think he's interesting. He's got a lot of natural movement on everything he throws. Um, yeah. which I think is a little bit of a product of how he delivers in his arm slots a little bit. It's not necessarily like a crossbody like Jake Arrieta, but uh, Arietta closes off his so- shoulders so much. Dillon's a little more open, but he gets the same effect. And if you look at, I was actually looking at a lot of his pitches ranked against other pitchers in baseball based off like just horizontal vertical movement, where the velocity is, et cetera. And his fastball ranks right up there. I think he, he basically throws a lot. He throws a lot of hard stuff. So he throws a four seam, a two seam, which I don't believe baseball's avant was picking up. But if you watch most of his tape, there is some tail on a pitch that's a little bit slower. So he's fastball, two seamer, four seamer, two seamer. Then he throws a, a really hard slider that I believe is being classified as a cutter. Um, either or, it doesn't really matter, but it's a hard pitch. It sits around 88, and then he's got to change up as well. The funny thing with this start for him is he goes seven no-hit innings. He does not feature the pitch that I think a lot of people consider his best pitch, which is a kind of a loopier curveball in the high 70s. So I, I like that fact about him, that he's got like four or five pitches. Um, I don't think his command is great, and I, I, no. I'm interested in terms of whether it's a mechanical thing with him or if it's just a matter of he has so much natural movement that he doesn't really know how to command it. And he's, he's, a little, he's 26, he's a little older, so... I don't think I see too much upside here, but it's a yet another product of Cardinal Devon Magic in terms of the viability of just a guy to call up and that th- can throw seven no-hit innings. I'm a little yeah. more intrigued by by Gomer, though, because I the stats are basically the same to Ponce de Leon in AAA Memphis, a little bit better at control, and the thing I can't get over with Gomer is that he's got a, a really heavy trunk tilt and his arm is much higher of a slot, and the release on his curveball is is beautiful from the left side. I really, yeah, really it's like it. it's a nasty pitch. It's a really good pitch. It falls off beautifully. It's a little more like a, a between a 12-6 and an 11-7. It's not necessarily straight over the top like a Wayno. I wouldn't call it like a bender, like a Jose Barrios pitch. But just how he releases the pitch, I, I think I might even – I think his, his delivery is almost like a, a James Paxton-esque is what I'll probably say in terms of how he releases that ball and how that comes off his fingers. And I really like that about him. I'd say Gomer above Ponce de Leon and then – Dakota Hudson's probably the third that I haven't dug into too, too much, but he, I believe, is slated to pitch Sunday in place of John Gant, 
with a potential DFA of Dreg Holland coming. So I don't I don't want to confirm any of that. This is coming out Saturday, so by then you'll probably have much better information than what I'm going to give you. But um, Gomer above Ponce de Leon, I like them both. Um, another product of the Cardinals kind of just coming up with these guys. I bet long-term Ponce de Leon ends up, ends up in the pen, although I personally would like to see him more of a, fi- a five-starter just because I think he has a, a bevy mm. of pitches that some other guys don't have. And Gomer, I, I'm He's personally very interested in in terms of yeah. just his youth, how that... I lo- really, really like his arm side. I think he's unbelievably deceptive. He could control things a little better. He does have a decent change of that he could throw to righties. So he kind of mitigates them a little bit in terms of having massive split issues, which I think is huge. So that is my little spiel on the on the three a trio of cardinal arms that have recently made their way to Bush Stadium. Yeah, there you go. All right. Well, let's. Uh, why don't we jump into some trades? I don't think we have any other call ups of note. Maybe I might have missed one or I two, think you're but good. nothing that jumps out to me. Uh, at least immediately. So let's jump into some of the trades. As I mentioned, we have the uh, trade deadline coming up within uh, less than a week now, just a handful yeah. of days. So it's really interesting to see some of the moves that have taken place thus far. First one I want to dive into here and get sort of your take. This is a guy that we both saw this yeah. year, uh, only a few feet from home plate against a very good New Hampshire lineup when they were sort of at their peak. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that would be Dylan Tate, who was part of the package that moved for Zach Britton. Uh, now that he's on his way to the Yankees, What's what? What's your thoughts on this deal? I think Tate is the only guy that we really have any opinions on. The other guys are more system depth that I'm not terribly familiar with, and I didn't get any looks on, so I don't want to uh, sort of uh, pontificate on any of those guys just yep. by looking at their Fangraphs page. I guess a really long lead. And once again, what are your thoughts on Dylan Tate? Dylan Tate is an extremely athletic pitcher. That's the first thing that I think is apparent to anyone oh, that yeah. watches. Um, Wilson Caraman actually shot out a YouTube video when I posted that something up about Tate when he was a little bit younger. I, I, don't, I believe at a certain college. I don't remember where he pitched or maybe it was in, is he California? Santa born? Barbara. Santa Barbara, UC, UC Santa, Santa Barbara. Barbara guy. Okay. Yep. And I like the differences between what I what we saw live in New Hampshire and then. The biggest thing that I noticed, um, Cameron pointed out some really good astute things. I noticed particularly his head tuck. You'll notice a lot of guys when they throw really hard, they'll have a head, their head will snap down on their fault. Head nod. Head nod, head nod. I don't know. I call it twitch, head whatever. Knock. Head knock. Head that's knock. it. That's probably the proper term. And yeah. uh, I, I noticed he cleaned that up a lot. He still has it a yeah. little bit with Trenton, but it was very noticeable in UC Santa Barbara. Now he's basically gotten that out of the way. So that's something actually I didn't know about him. But what we do know about him is that he's kind of a fastball slider change guy. That slider grades out a little bit average-ish to maybe plus, and the changeup's a little below. He's working on that. But, you know, this season he's been pretty good. His, his strikeouts are up. His walks are down. 3.76 FIP and AA. I actually – I think that you are on the fence that he's probably maybe more of a bullpen guy. I actually – think he has a bit of a track to be like a fourth or fifth starter. Um, I don't oh, see yeah, I too, too high. Be. I, yeah, I, think I think that's, that's like a ceiling. Okay, okay. I think that's more like maybe closer to a 50% outcome than a ceiling. I, I just have a little bit of confidence in him eventually figuring out based on his athleticism. Um, but, I mean, either way, I like this trade for uh, for Baltimore to get this kid back. Um, we've seen them make some interesting moves. Yeah. I was with Yusno Diaz, we talked about. They seem to be revamping their system. They seem to be a lot more conscious of what is going on internally with them in terms of the deficiencies that organization has nutritionally, internationally, player development side, et cetera, all these things. And adding Dylan Tate to the system, I would be very interested to see their track in terms of their plan you know, and his development because I do personally like him a bit. I, I tend to kind of lean towards these guys that are really athletic. It's one of the reasons why I like yeah. guys like Jack Flaherty a lot. You know, Dalton Jeffries is always a guy that I've kind of hung my hat on a little bit from the A system. It was Tommy John on and off, whatever. But, um, you know, this goes to a lot. I like Braxton Garrett, too. Like some of these weirder guys that I just really like the athleticism of, I tend to I tend to kind of like a little more. And I know I probably wasn't as high in Dylan Tate in the past, but 
I, I like this trade a lot. I think that maybe you kind of align in, in terms of the athleticism and the pitch mix and stuff. I, was, I wasn't blown away by what we saw, but I think he's, he's a guy that I'd be surprised if he isn't a major leaguer at some yeah, point. Yeah, right? I was going to say, he's, he's an, he, for me, he's a slam dunk major leaguer. I just yeah. think that there's, mm-hmm. the stuff is there enough. There's enough giddy, giddy up in the fastball. The fastball wasn't straight. It did have some movement. Um, he's an athletic guy, like you said, in terms of the delivery. I think yeah. when you watch it, he's cleaned up a lot of the noise uh, that he did have at UC Santa Barbara. Uh, and I thought that was an excellent contrast t- taking a look at the video that Wilson had yeah. obviously posted in response to your video uh, of his bullpen a little bit earlier. And that was pretty close to sort of what his delivery was. It wasn't forced. I didn't feel like he really uh, it wasn't necessarily violent. I thought it was cleaned up quite a bit. And I thought it was somewhat violent because of that head knock. Some of the other movement, um, particularly in his torso, you know, uh, when he was in college. And I think the Yankees have done a good job in particular of cleaning up some of the issues that he obviously had when he first came into pro ball. And it looks like the Rangers abandoned him and had no idea what to do with him. And that was pretty quick that they, they made that pick when you consider the fact that he was a fourth overall pick or something like that. Uh, so the Yankees have done a good job. I think of sort of getting him on track. Does he have that front line starter upside that I think, uh, many people thought he once had. I don't think so. I think, you know, if if he doesn't make it as a fourth or fifth starter, there is a chance that he could be a dynamic, like back of the bullpen guy if he just sort of focused on the fastball slider. Um, he's interesting. That's why I think you know it could be. When I say middle relief, I think he could be a really good middle reliever. You know, um, like a better version of like what Joe Kelly kind of became. And I think everyone when they watch Kelly, though he was more of a stuff guy than I think Tate is. Tate does have stuff, but it's not like you know Kelly with like a you know triple digit fastball or anything like yeah. that. He's down a few ticks, but Kelly also being a really athletic guy that I think oh, yeah. the fringe was like fourth or fifth starter. Mm-hmm. Um, and guy, yeah. yeah, you know, and, and, and can it all come together or is he going to end up a bullpen guy? And though he's had his ups and downs, he's had some stretches, but he's been a really useful bullpen guy. So if that's Absolutely. what his floor is, is that if that's the worst outcome, that's a pretty good get, especially considering you got him back for a reliever that you weren't going to resign. And, uh, you know, it's going to walk anyway. And it has some injury issues too. So they got him plus a couple other players. I don't think it was a bad trade for the Orioles either. I agree with you. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's jump into a couple other trades here. We have uh, about five more we want to get to. Um, just talk about, I think we're just going to focus on the prospect side of it, which I think is obviously the, the theme of the show and stuff. So uh, Jay Happ to the Yankees for Brandon Drury, who's the, probably the, the premier piece of the trade, but attached on the side of this is Billy McKinney. Um, 230 hitter in Triple A. With the Yankees, um, we've talked about him in the past. I think at sometimes he was considered maybe a fringe third outfielder, but I think that's kind of fallen more towards the yeah. fourth, fifth range now for me personally. Yeah, like um, a bat first outfielder yeah. when he was first with the, the, the A's and yep. then uh, early on with the Cubs, but he's been moved. I mean, Addison so Russell times. deal. Then yeah. he got moved from the Glaber Torres deal. Now he's getting moved to Toronto uh, in his half deal. So, yeah, it's funny. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I can't say I'm too, too high on him. I don't know if you have too many thoughts around no. him, but I, did, I just wanted to point out that he was in the package. Um, then yeah, Martin system death, S- yeah. system death type of the guy. Yeah, I very true. <laughs> no problem. Uh, Martin Maldonado was the other name moved to Houston for Patrick Sandoval, who I didn't really know too much about. Ralph, he was one of the guys you selected for your five by five, so I'm gonna kick it to you. But what I saw was that he was basically dominating high A for the Astros, 247 ERA, 237 FIP. Um, he seemed to be a location guy who started missing bats this year, so something might have changed. But the peripherals look really good. Um, I didn't really get too much info on what he threw. I think it seemed like he had a low 90s fastball, and um, I, I think I saw curveball as well, but that report was from late 2017, so maybe things have changed. But your thoughts on Patrick Sandoval in this um, Martin Maldonado swap with the Angels and the Astros, Ralph? 
Yeah. So, um, decent size lefty. I, you know, I, I like the delivery. Um, he's got a little bit of like arm drag, so he kind of hides the ball pretty well and he comes over the top. So it, it sort of just drops in on you. Um, what he mixes up is he's got a really good feel for his fastball and it can range everywhere from 88 to 94. So in some sense, he's kind of like the way Lucchese is. And I think, you know, as a lefty, he gets by a little bit on deception. Obviously he doesn't have that wacky, uh, you know, sort of mechanics that, that, that Lucchese has and the crazy deli- you know, sort of deception that he uses, but there is some deception there. He's a former 11th, a former 11th round pick out of uh mission, mission Viejo high school has just produced a, a decent amount of, you know, talent in the NFL, I think as well as MLB over the years. And, uh, it took him a while to find his footing, you know, but he's been really good this season. Actually had a stretch of uh, 42 consecutive innings between the bullpen and the rotation. Cause he's kind of bounced back and forth. Uh, 42 consecutive innings of uh, scoreless baseball across two levels. Um, I mean, it lasted nearly two months, finally gave up. I think it, it ended maybe two weeks ago, week and a half ago. So he's been fairly unhittable for most of the season. Uh, his best pitch is his changeup. It's a legitimate plus pitch. He gets tons of swings and misses on that. That's really driving uh, a lot of his development this year, as well as a lot of the strikeout numbers that you're seeing. Uh, pairs that with a couple of actually above average graded fast, uh, excuse me, breaking balls and a curveball, as well as a slider. So sort of mixes it up a little bit, changes speeds, changes eye levels, has, you know, a couple of different uh, pitches with some good movement. And uh, I think he's an interesting guy. I think, you know, long term, he may end up, end up in the rotation now that he's pitched so well. And that's sort of a need particularly for the angels. So I'm interested to see what Sandoval does. Like I said, uh, a lefty would sort of uh, feel some control and uh, a bevy of pitches. So those guys always interest me. And I think that's a pretty good get for a rental Maldonado. Uh, some people were saying that that was a better get than people got for Britain and some of these other guys. I mean, I think you might even be able to argue that he could turn out to be a better player than what, uh, you know, Drury or McKinney give the, the blue Jays for J a Hap. So I think that's kind of funny when you think it's, he's moving for, Probably a backup catcher, right? Yeah. I mean, maybe that's what the Astros thought their deficiency was and they were willing to pay up a little bit for it. But it definitely yeah, seems sure. like this guy's a little more of a upside than a guy like – I mean, like Tate's far along, a little advanced. The I Astros think we kind of know. The Astros have so many players too. I mean, they're loaded with talent. So they're trying to win. Like it doesn't really matter yeah, with their yeah. farm system. You know, it's, it's Whitney and, like and Alvarez. Or something. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Um, but no, I think it's an interesting trade. It's, I think it, I think it's mutually beneficial, but I do agree that it's funny that how you compare a guy like this, who looks really, really good and high compared to like McKinney jury and Tate, et cetera. So he um, could be the best player that we're going to talk about out of anybody. Like he could potentially have the best major league career just because of how good he is. The development that he's had in professional ball It's taken a couple of years, but he's still young. Cause he was a, a prep arm, mm-hmm. uh, and a, and a, a later round prep arm, essentially. I mean, he's still 11th round. So it's not like we're talking a 25th round kid, but yep. you know, it's, that's interesting. Left-handed. And like I said, he's got a bunch of different pitches he can locate and he's already got, you know, a legitimate out pitch in that changeup. So that gives him, I think maybe even a step up on Tate long-term though. I know we haven't seen as much of an, obviously as we has have Tate. So I'll re- 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 reserve judgment long-term on that. But I think there's an argument that can be made that Sandoval potentially uh, could be a better long-term piece than Dylan Tate is. It's close I like though. it. I like it a lot. Do you think Ralph, this is, I, th- I think we're going to get into the trade now that we both text a little bit back and forth and we're like, huh, yeah, interesting. And this is the Singwon deal for Forrest Wall and Chad Spangenberger. Um, interesting to say the least. It, it was one I wasn't really expecting. It was also one that I, I just didn't think this would 
they would get this much for O. Like of, of all yeah. relievers, like I get that he's really, really cost controlled. His command's been really good this year. His K's are up. Like it's an appealing reliever, but I just he's 30, 38 or thirty six. He's he's really old. No, he's not thirty. I think he's thirty six. Um, and he's got two years of control at very small amounts of money. I get it. But they give up first Forrest Wall, who's a guy that they invested in, who got hurt, who basically lost a year of development, comes back, is struggling a little bit. But for me and for what we saw, I think, in him, that that seems like more of a reps thing to me. It's just a matter of him yeah, not playing for a year. Terri- yeah, he's not a terrible ball player. He at was all. fine he- in Lancaster. And then he gets up to, to Hartford. He was kind of like, eh, you know, it's whatever. He's adjusting. Everyone's to a new fine level. in Lancaster, That's though. That's true. I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, maybe we maybe we inflate like what exactly Wall's potential is. But it seems like he play a few positions. I like the bat from the left side. I think the swing is nice. It's compact. Like, I enjoyed, I enjoyed what I saw. I just thought... I mean, maybe this is the cost of a reliever. We saw this with a guy like Brad Hand, but I just didn't think I, – I don't know. I just didn't expect to wake up to uh, to a message from MLB.com or a Roto World message I think I got about the – Rock. I always have all the Rockies guys' farm system on notification and that they were giving up a wall for O and, and Spangenberger toss. And Spangenberger's um, – was was killing a ball with 23 bombs 16 bags seemed like a little hilliardy in terms of the the production he cut his case down a little bit still around 22 percent i i i'm more interested in wall and this because he's further along because i think more people knew about him but what, john, are, what are your impressions of this john calvagno has put a 70 on spanberger's raw power wow, like he says really? that he's legitimately like a masher i did I'm, not know that i'm wow. shocked he hasn't been called up a little bit earlier to be honest with you i'm, I'm shocked he okay. hasn't at least tasted lancaster so now maybe uh he ends up in dunedin and and uh, Toronto decides to, you know, push him a little bit. That's an interesting Dunedin team with some other pop-up guys. But, you know, considering Toronto's really been building over the last, let's say, four or five years with that system, they've drafted well. Obviously, they added Groshans um, and, you know, uh, Griffin Conine. They now add two more players that I think are, you know, legitimate on-the-radar prospects with potential major league futures, one at least in Wall and Spanberger, that I think, at least from a number scouting side, uh, has gotten a lot of attention, you know, amongst that sort of crowd. So, and I, and I don't think he can totally dismiss um, the fact that in his first full season of pro ball, he's been excellent. And he was yeah. pretty good out of the gate last year, if I remember correctly, too, though, I'd have to double check the fan page. So I think that's an interesting get for, oh, and yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, you could probably make an argument. I guess Brandon Drury is already a major leaguer, um, but for what O is and what Hap is, I, I guess O has an extra year of control and it's cheap, but still, like, they got two players that are at least decent. I mean, you kind of got Drury and McKinney. McKinney doesn't mean anything, but I don't know. There you go. Toronto just getting some more system depth, and uh, they're, they're getting deeper and deeper, and they have actually have a lot of guys that are on the top two uh, levels of their system right now that yeah. they could have a few in-house major league contributors. And maybe if they get some of these guys some reps and they play well, they might be able to move them, package them off to get uh, some upgrades at other positions when, you know, the really strong core of, you know, Vlad and uh, and Bo and some of these guys is sort of ready to produce every day. Mm-hmm. I absolutely agree. I do want to correct myself. It is it's Span Spanberger. It's not Spanjinberger. So I apologize. Yeah, Spanberger. Spanberger. Okay. And um, very quickly, going back to Ranger Suarez, I know we wanted to mention his start. I just pulled it up and forgot about it. It was sitting in my tabs. Five innings, six hits, four earned runs, one walk, three strikeouts, two home runs. Got the W, I believe. Yeah. Was buoyed by two home runs from Reese Hoskins. So um, I'd like to look into once his uh, pitch mix and some of the velo stuff and movement data hit baseball perspectives and baseball savant to check out some of that and see how that ranks in the league. But for now, um, 
you know, seems like a normal debut. Um, maybe not crazier, yeah. but I like that he got through five. Looks like he threw a decent amount of strikes. Was only allowed to throw 75 pitches, so ups and downs in this, but we'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll dig into that more and keep an eye on him. Um, the next trade we're going to get into is Nathan Iovali for Jalen Beeks. I want to give this to you, Ralph, just because I know you have a better eye on the Boston farm system than I do. I know Jalen Beeks was called up. A lot of people were really excited. Didn't seem like initially the skills played up. He's a fastball cutter curve change kind of guy. Seemed to mix those pretty decently in the small amount of innings he got at the major league level. But um, Red Sox getting Iovaldi back, clearly kind of a win nowish move. Maybe weren't too confident in Beeks going into the postseason. Obviously a little more confident with Iovaldi in terms of how his swinging strikes are jumping up. I know that's been a, uh, a Fangraphs rolling average chart that's been thrown around on Twitter a lot I saw today. So what are your thoughts on Jalen Beeks, Ralph? Yeah, I, I'll say that Beeks is one of these guys that, um, though he was getting a lot of strikeouts, most of it came down to the fact that he was sort of stealing strikes in the outer half, um, has decent control of that fastball. He's really sort of upped his command on that. Added the cut fastball uh, last year. And that's been a, you know, a big driver of success. It's the pitch that he gets the most swings and misses on. But overall, I think his stuff is very pedestrian and he doesn't even, uh, he's not all that deceptive. And I just think he's a guy that ultimately at the major league level, most teams are probably going to pick on pretty quickly. Unless he's able to add, you know, uh, a little bit more spin on one of his pitches or make some sort of variation or tweak or change or somehow figures out how to hide the ball a little bit better. But for me, Beeks is just the guy that, you know, he's he's very solid in the minors um, because he's got a decent pitch mix. He knows how to throw strikes. He works quickly. Um, and like I said, he'll steal some stuff on the outside. So he's more of like your feel control lefty, not a stuff guy. Um, and I don't think he's somebody that necessarily uh, long term is going to have, you know, a long major league future in the rotation. He's already 25. So, mm. you know. Maybe he's a guy that uh, Miami feels they can they can roll out there, give him some major league experience, and maybe he figures some stuff out. Maybe they think there's something that they can tweak or work on him with. But he's not somebody that I'm clamoring to own. Um, at best, he's sort of a streamer. If he can string string together some strong major league starts, and then we feel we can have some confidence to maybe roll him out, uh, you know, in a weaker lineup against like a San Diego or something like that in any given day, especially at home. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, I don't I don't think Beeks is much of anything. I thought it was a Excuse me, I said Miami. I, I meant to say Tampa Bay. <laughs> those, Florida <laughs> Florida. Teams, those Florida teams with Same empty thing. stadiums. <laughs> exactly. So anyway, but I guess, you know, maybe maybe they think they can get him through the lineup like twice. So, you know, you know, the Rays, they're always thinking of different ways that they can use some of these arms that are cross cost controlled. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I wonder if I like Beaks more because the Rays went after him. You know, I don't know. But yeah, either way, I don't think it's much of anything. It's kind of not that interesting. White Castle presents CEO Lisa Ingram. My great-grandfather opened White Castle in 1921, which is why I'm excited to announce the new 1921 slider, inspired by how we made them 100 years ago, with a 100% beef patty topped with cheddar cheese, caramelized onions, tomato, lettuce, and pickles. Come see why originality never goes out of style. I'm Lisa, but you can call me the Slider Queen. White Castle, long live sliders. Pasteurized processed cheese at participating castles. Absolutely. I agree with that. And the last trade here, Cole Hammers for Raleigh Lacey, I believe. This just went down today, which is Thursday, the 26th of July. Um, 11th round guy from 2017. Seems like he's posted a 24% strike rate, 10% walk rate at high A, I want to say. Let me confirm that. Confirm that. Yep, high A. With the Cubbies, um, he's gotten beat up a little bit. Fips over 5.5. He's only 22. He's a tall, lanky guy at 695 on his build. Can't say I really know too much about him, but I think from what I'm seeing on Twitter and everything, everyone likes Cole Hamels jumping back to the NL 
and um, possibly bringing the Cubs back to another NLCS, which will likely be against the Dodgers from what everything is shaping out to be. But this is some rotational depth that adds another lefty into that rotation. Um, now they have three or four lefties between Montgomery, Lester, and McKintana, and now Camels, I believe. So that's one thing that's very interesting. Also Kyle Hendricks, who's the lone righty. Um, yeah. I, I'd be interested to see, and I don't know off the top of my head, but how some of the other NL teams fare lefty-righty splits and if they have any trouble against lefties. But uh, um, that's interesting. It, 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 I don't know how many teams we've seen with this many lefties going into a postseason like this. But then again, I'm not really sure who's exactly going to start for them. Maybe Montgomery falls off and they bring someone else in. I'm sure Lester's going to be in there. I'm sure Hendricks is going to be there in there. But uh, um, aside from the Major League stuff, Ralph, I don't know how much you have on Rolly Lacey. I didn't seem to have too, too much. Yeah, I, I don't really know him at all. I'm watching yeah. him right now, and uh, he kind of short arms the ball a little bit. Um, okay. Delivery is a little bit like three quarters, but it's it's yeah, I don't know. He, and he kind of throws across his body. It's it's a it's a funny delivery, to be honest with you. Um, he's got a mustache, so I don't know if that's oh, playing into the whole Rolly Fingers <laughs> thing or something. I, I don't know much about him, I, to be honest. I'm shocked that Hamels moved for so little. Like, yeah, that seems like almost nothing. I feel like. Unless they know something about Rolly Lacey, I don't understand. The Red Sox couldn't have made a move like this, or like somebody yeah. else couldn't have traded for for Hamels for like system depth. Like Rolly Lacey, who the hell is Rolly Lacey? I, I don't even know who he is. I must really like him. I really don't know either. It seems yeah. like I mean, what's really the the end of the NLBL difference between uh, Jay Happ and Hamels? You know, like I I mean Jay Happ I'd probably have Happ, I'd, I'd have, have Happ, Happ, but like would you give up Brandon Jury? And but Brandon Jury's like a. Like, a, what do you call it? Uh, like, a, he's a major league player. Like, yeah, I know yeah, he's, oh, yeah. he's had problems, but like, Raleigh Lacey and Brandon Jury are like night and day in terms of the actual value of the player, right? Yes. Like unless, hey, unless, there's something, unless there's something they know about Lacey that we don't. So, very fair. Maybe there is. Maybe there is, Ralph. Um, Rotoware. Let's do some Rotoware. Yeah, I was going to say, there's something that we know that you don't, and that is <laughs> you should be using our promo code SAGNOF, S-A-G-N-O-F, over at rotoware.com. Follow him at rotoware on Twitter, at rotoware classic, at Kenneth underscore Cashman. Happy birthday, Kenny. It is actually oh. the creator of Rotoware's birthday today. Uh, this is Thursday, uh, July 27th that we're recording this. So that is actually Kenny's birthday. He's going to be listening to this in the future. So a uh, happy belated birthday now that you're listening, Kenny. I'm hoping you get yourself a frozen lemonade. Uh, of course, <laughs> Rotoware. What do they actually do? They put out the best T-shirts in the fantasy baseball and fantasy sports game. They have tons of shirts for fantasy football, fantasy baseball, lots of designs on that Rotoware site. That's where you can use our promo code SAGNOF to get 20% off all your purchases. They also have the shirts. They're slowly transitioning over to Rotoware from Rotoware Classic. And that's the shirts that you can buy that are sort of more topical. It's partnered through Amazon, so unfortunately you can't use our promo code because Amazon is greedy. It has nothing to do with Kenny. It's all on Amazon, but you should still be picking out the shirts because exactly because they are (laughs) they are amazing. He has a ton of shirts for Braves fans, Cubs fans. He's got shirts for uh, Mariners fans. If you're a a big fan of uh, Mitch Hanniger in particular, he's got some pretty cool ones and James Paxton. So. Uh, Kenny's sort of just always putting out different shirts. I can't even keep up with the amount of shirts that he's put out. I feel like every single day I see a different one that he's put out that I didn't even know uh, was out there. So go and check it out because his inventory is growing by the day. His fan base is growing by the day, and he's just the man. So uh, go out there and check out rotoware.com. I love it. Yeah, Kenny's the man. I didn't know it was a birthday coming up, so I can't wait to send him a little text and tell him thank you for all the fantastic T-shirts. I'm, of course, always excited to see what he comes out with, and I'm sure he'll be doing a lot um, with 
all the various sports starting up and baseball coming to its climax in terms of the postseason run into the World Series and such. So uh, hopefully, oh, we yeah. get a, hopefully we get a, a something similar to the to the J.R. Smith moment in the, in the finals, <laughs> so we can get a nice little T-shirt of it. Um, as long as it's not the, <laughs> as long as it's not the Red Sox, and I have yeah, to listen yeah. to it incessantly. I just want to avoid that. <laughs> Oh man, all the Boston radio sports stations. I apologize oh. if, that, if that happens. Oh man. Oh, they were so mad about <laughs> Nate Eovaldi and not oh, being sure. Ahab. Oh, it was awful. Oh, I can't. Anyway, <laughs> anyways, five by five, Ralph. I called it news and notes, but when I looked at what we exactly put down, it seems more like a five by five. So let's call it the original five by five that we haven't done in a while with the various things we've been covering and bringing in here and there and your list and such. So I think this is probably the first time we've done this in three or four weeks. So uh, let's start off. You want to go first? No, why don't you go first? Because right, your right. guy's really interesting. I actually want to talk about him. He was somebody that I was uh, thinking about putting on my list, but I didn't write about him today. I was saving him for okay. Sunday. So why don't you mention him? It'll be a precursor to my sure. article that comes out tomorrow. Yeah, Travis Swaggerty looks really, really good in short season West Virginia for the Pirates. Uh, 287, 354, 494 on the slash, three home runs, four for six on bags with 22 games. Looks like this is the power speed combo that I believe everyone um, was looking at with him. He's South Alabama bad. He's a lefty. Um, he's interesting. I think initially everyone was like, well, what's really the upside in a guy like this who seems to have a bunch of five, six tools, no seven tool from what I understand and probably what yeah. I would grade out. Um, but it, it, the comp I got a couple times from people was was a Brett gardner kind of guy, which has a lot of value. It just seems like maybe because we weren't looking at it and seeing, oh, my God, this could get to a 70. He could be a 35 home run guy or a 30 sure. steel guy or, two, or a, a 320 hitter. Everyone was like, okay, well, if he ends up 270, 280 with 20 home runs, 20 bags, like what's really the value on that? But um, I, I, I like Swaggerty. I think I've been up and down with him. I consider it a little bit of like a roller coaster in terms of my impressions of him. I like him. I think he has really good upside. Maybe it's not – great upside for fantasy particularly he's got the power speed combo but i, I think it maybe evens more the fact that he might be able to stick in, in a premium outfield position and provide good defense that might boost his value a little bit which is something that i think to some extent the pirates have been cognizant of with guys like austin meadows um broncos already have always had a pretty good arm Marte's a very good range center fielder etc so they seem to not just be willing to put out a guy who's a, a lumbering bumbling whatever out there and swaggerty kind of fits the bill of of the prospects they've developed in the outfield i know a lot of them haven't been wildly successful but i do like what i've seen from swaggerty so far really short swing from the left side i think he's appealing pop really quiet hands um my bold prediction on him would be that i think he can end up being like a like a well above average uh, OBP guy. So like maybe in that 365, 370 window, um, which is, I believe, about 30 points above the uh, major league average. So I like him a bit. I think he's really interesting. Um, and why I'm saying that on the OBP, OBP side of things is because he's at about 8% walk right now. But he, the swing is so short that I think he's able to, if he just gets more reps against higher level pitching, I know he's South Alabama, he's a college guy. So he, he did have a little bit better pitching than maybe the average player did. But um I think he I think he's a really, really good guy to tinker with the swing of and get to a point where he's he's a very valuable offensive on base guy. And I think that's the appeal I see in Swaggerty. So right now my my Swaggerty stock is probably peaking a little bit up, whereas opposed to right after draft, I think it was a little bit more neutral to to below. So I mean, we'll we'll ride the Swaggerty roller coaster, but at the moment, Ralph, I like him a lot. Yeah, no, I, I do like Swaggerty. He's a guy that I, I ranked pretty highly uh in my first year player draft rankings. Maybe he moves up a couple of spots. I had him one fifteen in the top one, uh, top 500. So I obviously have been a fan. I always liked the on-base skills that he had. I felt that coming from South Alabama, once he came into the pros, that he was probably going to see some different facilities. 
uh, coaching and some things that maybe just the school couldn't provide due to the fact that they're not, you know, this sort of massive program, yeah. obviously still D1, but we're not talking about the Floridas and the Clemsons and the USC's and the UCLA's and, you know, uh, all those sort of schools, Vanderbilt that are just obviously are these factories with probably amazing facilities. So I, I, I think he's a guy that's really interesting because there is the power, there's the speed there. And there's just that, that baseline of on base ability, uh, and strikes and recognition that I think is very important, uh, especially for early adjustments in the pro ball. So you can sort of take those next steps when you finally do get challenged and do actually face something that you need to actually adjust to. He's got a good baseline of skills. So I think there was an excellent pick. I'm going to go with sort of bigger name guy here. Jesus Lazardo. He's really interesting. I think just as a discussion point as well, he has been absolutely phenomenal, uh, in, in double a this year, he's been phenomenal really throughout his entire, uh, professional career here and it's funny because most of his professional career has actually come in double a this season i think over 60 mm-hmm. percent of his professional innings have actually come in double a he's got 68 innings i believe as of right now and uh the numbers are actually 73.2 excuse me 73 and two-thirds so he's been excellent there he's got it down to a 2.32 era right now it's supported by a 2.90 uh fip 3.16 xFIP. Uh, the strikeout rate is 29% to a just under 6% walk rate. It's pretty phenomenal. Keeping the ball in the park as well. Uh, and it and gets a lot of ground balls, actually. A um, little bit less here than he's gotten at other levels, but it's still about 45%, which is nice when you're considering how much he's missing uh, at bats. But the thing that I love about him is he mixes that excellent plus-plus changeup. He's got some oomph on the fastball. He's not the biggest guy, but he does... He does, uh, you know, get relatively easy velocity. I don't think that his, his, his delivery is crazy violent. It's a little, there's a little bit of effort in it, but it's not like he's Mitch Keller. He's not super smooth in that sort of delivery. But um, for a smaller guy, it's not anything that's of huge concern, though. I know he's had Tommy John recently, you know, two years ago now, prior to his draft year. He missed his entire senior year at uh, Stoneman Douglas, of course, is uh, an alumnus of, uh, of that fine school. But, uh, He's interesting once again because he added a really weird pitch the other day. He was throwing a mid-60s EFIS pitch that he referred to as his turkey sub. And I believe he got two or three pop-ups on this pitch. So he's mixing that with his curveball, his changeup, and his fastball. And now he's throwing this weird EFIS pitch. It seems like at this point, (laughs) he's just toying with hitters. I mean... He's now gone like, uh, I think it's 32 consecutive innings. It's six straight starts without allowing an earned run at double A at 20 with nearly no major league, excuse me, no professional experience prior to rookie ball last year. And he missed an entire year, you know, his senior year of high school. So mm-hmm. it's pretty remarkable that this guy has that sort of feel, can tinker with stuff like that and is making much older talent at a high level in the minors look pretty silly at this point. My question, now that we know that the Oakland athletics were buyers, they don't have necessarily a lot of capital to go out and take on a contract or purchase a starter. that might be out there on the market. Could Lizardo somehow help them? Even if it's out of the pen as a multi-inning guy down the stretch here, maybe late August into September into the playoffs. And, and we sort of see what happens because they might be able to sort of keep them under that threshold in terms of total days on the active roster, um, plus the total innings, uh, and they can maybe hold them down again for a couple of weeks 
you know, next year. The other thing is they could bring him up in September, shut him down a little bit, bring him up in September and uh, DL somebody and get him onto the 40 man and the 25. So he could make the, the playoff roster. So there are some ways to sort of tinker with it. What are the chances we see Lizardo? I mean, he's been in double A for a while. Mm. I think that the chance has got to be pretty high. I, I The reason I say that is particularly is because I almost feel like if A.J. Puck was healthy, he would be that man right now, right? He would have like, been, he would have he been would there be already, up, yeah. He'd be, he'd be dealing. I, I know I wasn't super, super high on his initial kind of stint in the major leagues. I thought that he might get beat up a little bit. I liked what I saw in spring with A.J. Puck, but I thought there was going to be some growing pains with him in terms of how he'd be able to fare. But again, I still like him projection-wise. But now if you're the front office of the A's, you have to you have to consider Lazardo now because you don't have A.J. Puck. So what's the next best thing is it's Lazardo because he looks, I mean, equally as good, if not better, honestly, over an extended period of time. I know I believe Puck was up to AAA maybe. I could be wrong on that. But regardless, I mean, two really good lefty. Was double. Was it double A? So, I mean, then you're looking at Lazardo with pretty much as good of a sample, if not better. And I, I know he's young, but, I mean, the A's seem to be a team that they make that familiar move, which seems a little more win now than anything. You know, they seem to think they have a chance. And Billy Bean always puts his team in these weird spots where they're like, contending they're like fringe contenders i don't think they're gonna get anywhere near they're not gonna be able to hold up in a series against the astros the yankees or the um red sox excuse me but i mean get them in the playoffs get them a series get oko some more playoff games i mean that's his goal right he's just he's trying to get into that playing game and beat either the yankees or the red sox and then pray just pray you could somehow match up in that game and use the bullpen get to trevino get to trinan um, and I've run through it and I'm familiar. Maybe, maybe Lazard is the guy, man. I don't know. I what think do you, you think, have to consider it though. What do you think his innings cap is? Cause he's at 80, just, just under 90 oh, innings tough. right now. How many throw last year? Do you know? I not, not, not many. I think he threw like, uh, 13.2, 11.2, oh, yeah. 18 in front of me. So, and he came off a of TJ now 40 he's, rel- mm. he's a relatively young guy and it haven't necessarily been like strenuous innings. He's been cruising through here. Um, oh, man, you know, I, do they slow him down a little bit? And like, I don't know. I mean, I guess every guy is different. It depends what they decide to do. But, you know, they ramp him up as 120. The number I, I was thinking right in that window. I thought it would be right you know? there between 120 and 140 is where my mind was going. And I think 140 is on the high side for a guy that threw 40 something last year. But, you know, I'm always going to defer again to uh, assuming I'm not sure where the athletics are on the on the general rank of how they manage and care for pitchers and how well they do it. But I, I always try to defer to the teams on this because I think they have a very good understanding of how the pitcher's doing, how the scouts scouting him are, are perceiving his velocity if it's ticking down. You know, I'm sure they're charting all this data and taking a look at it objectively and, and seeing, you know, oh, he's dropped 0.5 miles per hour over the last three months. Like, it looks like maybe he's getting a little fatigued. We don't want to push him further. But, I mean, this is, this is a big piece for them. Like, they don't have the money to go out and get really good anything, honestly. And I don't think they ever will. So you have to value a guy like Jesus Lazardo very, very highly if you're if you're the Athletics. Twenty year old kid, he's a lefty, as we said, and he's he's already up to double A and he's pitching beautifully. You know, I just you have to be care. I think you have to be careful with these guys because I think if you're really being you're looking at the AL playoff picture, you have to understand that you're not going to get to the LCS. I think that's a below five percent chance they get to the LCS. So what really is the value of that playoff series? I, I sure it's good, but is it worth risking? the potential that Lazarda maybe gets a little more fatigued, et cetera. And I think that you have yeah. to be cautious with them. As I said, like the, this team can't go out and buy prospects. They, or excuse me. They can't go out and buy big talent in the free agent market. Like this is a guy you have to internalize and make sure he ends up as good as mm. possibly can be. And that's, that's going to go for guys like Kyle Murray too, that they pick up. And even a guy like Austin Beck, who is a little more turning into more of a contact guy than the raw pop. But 
if he turns into a five two guy, you can't you can't pay for that. Exactly, you can't pay for that on the open market. So for you're the A's, you have to internally develop it, and I think they have to covet covet Lizardo. And if that means shutting him down when they need him for the major league roster, I think you have to do that, and you have to bite the bullet. I'm okay with that either way. I just think it's interesting that you know there's there's not a non-zero chance that he may not see some major league time this year. That's oh, all. I agree too. I think he, I, I, I'd put it maybe above 50%. We get an inning or two of him this year. Maybe it's just a couple starts, you know? I wouldn't be stunned. All right, right let's kick window. it back to you for yeah. a player that we both have uh, some mutual admiration about. Yeah. So uh, tell me, who is your number two that we love so much? Blake Rutherford, yes. Yeah, still Winston-Salem, now up to 308. In the month of July, he's absolutely raking 369. He's had an even strikeout to walk ratio, which is probably the thing that I think is the most important if you want to sample obje- uh, just kind of create random parameters around a certain period of time and, and look at his success. But um, I, I was impressed with him when I saw him Winston-Salem. I've always kind of liked him. I thought he's always had a very, very compact swing from the left side, which I like a lot. He's a high school bat. He's a little bit younger. I know there's going to be a little bit of development in him that goes on. Maybe that striker rate evens out to around like 24% at the major league level. But right now, the fact that he's through a whole month and Winston-Salem, he's on the verge of a promotion for me. I think you have to kick him up to Bingham, or Birmingham, excuse me, by the, not Binghamton, <laughs> Birmingham by the end of the year. I want to see him in double A. I want to see him with other guys. Like I believe Louis Robert, Robert is up there. Um, but huh. I like Rutherford, man. I've always been a big Rutherford guy. I always just like point out when he's having some success because I think he's going to be – he's one of those guys that I always hang my hat on in terms of just I think he's going to be a major leaguer. I'd be pretty surprised if he's not a regular. Even if even if there's some platoon issues, he's going to be strong side of it, and I, I've always liked him. Yeah, and I think he's one of these guys too that the quality of his contact and his at-bats and how um, advanced he is at such a young age, he's going to continue to play up, and I think he may be a little bit underrated – um, not, not necessarily in real life, but for fantasy, some people may sort of overlook the skills, particularly if they look at sort of the stats and the power or the speed doesn't jump out to you that I think, you know, he might be able to put together some really productive years. Um, and there's more power sort of sneaking in there. I really like the swing. Like you said, mm-hmm. it's compact. I feel like his hands are quick. He knows what he's doing. Um, and he has an, you know, has a good approach to the plate and, you know, it's funny. He was the guy and not Mickey Moniak. I know that we always go back to this, but it's just such it, it, it never yeah. leaves my mind that he was the guy for months. And then the last two months of the draft process, or all of a sudden it was Moniak had significantly overtaken him because of you know what was seen on some of the showcase circuits. And at this point, I mean, I think you take Blake Rutherford every day over oh, Mickey absolutely. Moniak, even if Moniak was performing. I mean, there's a huge, there's a, you know, a Grand Canyon size sort of abyss between the, the talent level of those guys so far in professional baseball. So uh, I like Blake Rutherford a lot. Excellent. Nice choice. Nice choice. Who's your number two, Ralph? My number two. I'm going a lot of pitchers this week, which is I unlike like me. I'm changing my ways, Lance. <laughs> uh, Really interesting guy that I, I've heard a few people talk about. I believe Jason Woodell. And then, of course, Connor Kirkon wrote about him on his uh, weekly write-up over on six-man rotation that was really good. And that's Bryce Wilson of the Braves with uh, the double-A Mississippi Braves. Struggled early on quite a bit. Um, I mean, I think through his first, like, 30 innings or something like that, he gave up, like, you know, 27 earned runs. It was nuts. And this is a guy that, you know, sort of prior to that in the 190 professional innings, uh, coming out of the 2016 draft, then throughout 2017, you know he had a 1.94 ERA with a under 200 batting average, a 1.98 batting average against, and was a 2.93 x. The numbers were phenomenal here. He had lived for years on a two seam fastball, got to Double A. The numbers were atrocious, as I mentioned, and the team approached him and said, "Have you thought about maybe switching from a two seamer?" 
to a four-seamer and see what happens. We tinkered with it for a few weeks. He decided to try it out uh, in his first start in July. Since then, in the four starts, uh, he's actually struck out, I think, 37 batters in 27 innings. The numbers have been great. He's been on one of the better runs of his career recently and all due in large part to the change in his fastball grip. I don't know you know, what it is in particular. I don't know if there's any spin rate data or any of that sort of stuff behind it. Obviously, I don't have access to those sort of numbers, so we can't analyze uh, the track man there. But it looks like Wilson's made another change, another adjustment. This is a kid who was very, very athletic, he was a star uh, uh, running back and, and receiver. Uh, for his high school football team in North Carolina, got some D1 college offers for football. It was obviously a little bit better at baseball, sort of talks about that uh, in an interview that I actually read the other day when I was doing some research on Wilson. He's a really interesting player, and I think that he's somebody that goes a little bit under the radar uh, in this brave system, but he's sort of in the periphery of the top 10 there, and I think there's a case that you could make that he's within the top 10 for, for certain people and for a lot of good reasons. So it's great to see a kid like this come to another level, finally struggle for the first time and sort of face that adversity and then listen to his coaches, make adjustments and then watch him sort of make that adjustment and take a step up to the next level at a very young age, at a very advanced level. Wilson could end up being one of the better, better guys of this generation, particularly uh, for fantasy, because it looks like he's going to miss a lot more bats than Mike Soroka or Colby Allard and uh, his control and just, you know, pitchability is better than Luis Gohara. So I think he's very, very interesting. I know Tuki Toussaint was just promoted and he's taken a little while. Uh, he's been phenomenal. I rank mm. him a little bit higher at this point. Uh, Kyle Wright's probably just a touch higher, but I think there's a case that could be made for Wilson. Um, actually, Wright has come on quite a bit. If you look at his uh, June, July numbers, he's been really good of late. He's made some adjustments there. But I think the moral of the story here, I'm getting off track, is that Wilson listened to his coaches. He made adjustments, was able to apply that into the game and then get the desired results. So uh, good old Bryce Wilson. I think he's a guy that you have to boost up a little bit seeing him do what he's done over the last month. Absolutely. I I mean, it seems like every couple months we're reassessing this Braves uh, smattering of pitching prospects yeah, in some way or another. And Tukey was Tukey wasn't even like in the front of my mind, and now this guy. Oh my god! Know, yeah, he's one of the better pitchers in that system, and it's an easy call. He's been very good. And Soroka, I mean, again, like I love Soroka as much as the next guy, but it, it's not a bat mister, which which I think diminishes ah. some of that value for fantasy. I think it ups it real life, but it, it's different. If a guy like Bryce Wilson can sustain this like ten and a half, ten K per nine at the major league level, that's it, thoroughly impressive. I, it's just man, this this. Uh, between with the Padres and the Braves in terms of their pitching prospects, I don't think there's really anything I like discussing more than, than, the Yankees, than these guys. The Yankees, and the Yankees too, the Yankees honestly. low-level yeah. guys, yeah. The they're they're guys. Two, two years yep. away from them being like this sort of golden generation, but they got a ton of arms, yeah. too. they got an arsenal of arms Man. as well. So, yeah, Wilson's a really interesting one. Who's your number three, Lance? My number three is another pitcher. Actually, staying on the pitcher track here. I'm going back to the White Sox, oh, too. Cool. I just want to mention Michael Kopech's last two starts. Um, there was a bit of fading going on with him. I saw him cut down on a little, a couple prospect lists. Eyeball um, emoji. Yeah, <laughs> eyeball emoji. I did actually type that out here because I can't do it on my laptop. But uh, I, I just thought that when all the hype was kicking up around Force Whitley, I, I think at one point I eventually caved in and put in my head mentally put Whitley above Kopech. But there was a period of time, and I hope that you can vouch for me on this, where I did still have Kopech above Whitley even after Whitley's return and dominance for a couple starts. And I just I just didn't want to react that quickly to some bad outings. And I get that it was an extended batch of bad outings. So it wasn't just a few, more like half a season of bad outings. But 
I've always liked Kopech. I just couldn't get over what he did at the end of last year in terms of his turnaround, that changeup, how good he looked. And I guess I've been rewarded to some extent, even though I, I do admit that I caved at the last minute when, when Whitley looked really, really good in his last start before going down with that, I believe, an oblique injury. Kopech's last two starts, I buried the lead here. Six innings, seven hits, one earned, one walk, nine strikeouts. Six innings, four hits, one earned, one walk, 11 strikeouts. I am thoroughly interested in terms of if this continues, is he going to always be a second-half guy like this? You know, he's on the fringes of making going up to guaranteed right field and actually throwing some games. I can't believe I just called it that. Oh, my God, I have to wash my mouth out. But Kopech, um, I've always been a big fan. He's always been on my top two, at least my top two. He's been consistently number one for a while, pitching prospects. I've always liked him. I just – I really, really think that he's – in terms of pitching prospects go, I know that he throws really hard and there's UCL's concerns, blah, 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 but – I just think he's so athletic in what he's proven, what he's shown, how consistently he's missed bats for fantasy purposes. I've always been impressed with him, and this is a nice little reaffirmation that he's still really, really good, and he's still one of the best pitching prospects in baseball. So I just really like to see this. I'm moving down a little bit on my list. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was like the only top 10 pitcher that I had going into the season. Um, But I think I've also changed my outlook on pitchers that I try not to have any of them in the top 10. So, I mean, Whitley was my highest, I think, at 15 or 16. He was my third overall starter. I had the aforementioned Jesus Lazardo as my second behind Forrest Whitley. Um, but they were all relatively close. And like I said, I had Kopech at 29. So I never yeah. I never really backed off a of Kopech. I just sort of reevaluated how I made my list. And especially for Dynasty, which is the way that 500 list was written, I really wanted to emphasize that you should be going, if we're building a farm system today and you're using this as your roadmap, you should really be going after, you know, uh, bats unless these really good starters sort of dropped you, which is why there's a lot of those guys in the top 50. Um, but then it sort of tails off a little bit. But Kopech is still one of my favorite arms. I know Jason Waddell had actually said he thinks Dylan Cease might be better than Kopech right now. We got to get you on the bandwagon. He has. <laughs> uh, I, I I've like, always loved Cease. I like Cease, too. I actually do like Cease. I don't dislike Cease. I know, He's I know. always had trouble staying healthy and being effective over the entirety of a season. I, I, I'm still not willing to say that fair, Cease is fair. over Kopech. I, I'm not either, Come but on. I've always, I've always but, really liked Cease. Yeah, no, I, I, I do not, I do not dislike him at all. But I do want to mention a guy that uh, I know, Jason Waddell, friend of the show, has oh, obviously man, gotten yeah. quite, quite a few looks at as my number three, and that is Isaac Paredes of mm-hmm. the Tigers organization, and he's a really interesting hitting prospect for real life wise as well as for fantasy, and I think he's maybe even a little bit underrated for fantasy. I feel like I didn't rank him high enough in my top 100. When I really look at it, he struggled a little bit in in May, had a decent April uh, in in high A in the Florida State League. He's been on fire since June 1st. Since June 1st, he was actually promoted about a week ago uh, to Double A Erie. But since June 1st, he's slashing 325, 388, 552 with eight homers, and he has an even amount of strikeouts to walks. And his strikeout rate over that time is like nine percent. And I think on the season was like 15. He had, you know, he was a top 10 guy. I think a weighted weighted runs created plus in the Florida State League. Uh, the only teenagers in the top 20 were him and Andres Jimenez. Uh, and I think he was first week, uh, at least going into um, going into uh, Thursday's game. So I haven't looked at what he's done tonight. His slash line was a was a perfect like 300, 400. Uh, six, 600 or something like that, or maybe it was 400, 500, 600, but it was, it was ridiculous what his numbers were in the first week hit a grand slam, I think in his first or second game uh, in double a. So really interesting kid at 19, he's doing all this really advanced hit tool with some pop. 
Um, I don't think he's going to stick at shortstop. He's probably a third baseman long-term, but he's got the arm to stick at third, stay in the dirt and stay on the left side of the dirt on top of that. So I'm an Isaac Paredes fan. I don't know if you've gotten a lot of looks at him. I think he's a really interesting prospect for fantasy. Yeah. Anyone who's listening to this show, I think a while back, bro, I've always been actually low on Paredes. So I think I have to kind of bite my tongue here and, and admit that I was wrong. Cause I, I never really thought I saw too much of a bat and he, I'm clearly wrong on this. Cause he's, he's absolutely raking. I believe he's over four tonight. Um, I just looked at the box score, but regardless of that, he's been unbelievable. As you mentioned from the slash and I know Emily Walden's actually always been on him too. So I have to give her that. I have to give you that because I know you've always liked him a little bit more than I think I have. But he was a guy I always faded just because I never thought it, it, mechanically in a swing from the lower levels that I saw. I just didn't really love it in terms of what it was going to project out to be. If, if there was any power that was eventually going to come, I didn't think it would be much. That seems, again, to be wrong. So, again, this is a guy I got to just admit I'm wrong on. Like, I, I, I never really liked him, and I'm, I'm starting to come around on that in terms of just what the upside yeah. seems to be in Erie. And I also want to point out very quickly, the Eastern League, Ralph, continues to just – be unbelievable with the prospects between Jimenez being called up Paredes. Now we have the New Hampshire rags of, I mean, just glutton of prospects in New Hampshire. Um, Reed Foley was there earlier in the year. He got called up like just unbelievable. The guys in, in Eastern league. And of course this is all when I leave, but um, regardless, some amazing guys there. Um, six should be there eventually for the Phillies at some point. I would, I would assume. And I mean, just, just fascinating how many guys are going through the Eastern league that are really, really good prospects. Paredes being one of them. Yeah, no, I totally agree, and that's why I threw him on the list. I think it's interesting that we have a teenager that's hitting this good once again at a pretty advanced level. He's not that far away from Detroit, actually. He's not. And continuing on the Detroit trend of things here, Casey Mize is my number four, jumping to Lakeland on Tuesday for a start. He's hopping over. He was in the GCL. He threw two innings, four strikeouts, one walk. Uh, really short on this one. I just wanted to to point out that he did, in fact, start. He looked pretty good. Four strikeouts, really good over two innings, GCL. Obviously, he's probably almost a little too advanced for the GCL, which is why they're jumping him all the way to Lakeland already. So um, that was, a, I believe, yeah, I know, Boo. he's jumping over Connecticut. But uh, but that was an Emily Walden tweet again, I believe. She confirmed that. She's been credited. So Emily Walden is great. If you don't follow her, please follow her at Emily C. Walden. Um, the best Tigers coverage. Fantastic Midwest League coverage, actually, too. I know she was doing some Fort Wayne stuff, which made me she very was. jealous. So uh, she, she had to talk to Patino before I got to talk to Patino. So I have to knock that off my list. Um, uh, Ralph, you're number four. That was a quick number four for me. I think yeah, you're jumping so, to Dunn now, right? Yes, my okay. number four was uh, Justin Dunn. I was in the building for his most recent start, I believe. I don't know if he started since Saturday. Did he start tonight, actually? But his Saturday start against Trenton, uh, he went six strong innings, didn't give up any earned runs, had two unearned. That was kind of funny. He had hung a slider to Ryan McBroom after walking the first two batters. And uh, slider was hit to uh, left center, left fielder, sort of gunned down the guy at second that was running way too slow at home by about five feet. Um, guy stays at third. McBroom tries to steal second. So the catcher, which was Thomas Nito, uh, rushes a throw, bounces it off of uh, in front of the, the, the uh, bag, the second base bag ends up in the outfield. Both of those runs ended up scoring. After that, uh, Dunn settled down early on. He was fastball 93, 94, really consistently. He was just like 93, 93, 93, 93, 93, 93, like almost every single one was like 93 on the dot. Had a couple 94s, might've popped 95 once or twice. Um, but mostly 93, really good control has some fade on that fastball. Uh, it, it, it sort of runs in on, uh, on left-handers and uh, he can, you know, sort of swoop it to the outside uh, on righties. So, you know, he's able to get some nice angle on that. And like I said, it has some run on it. Uh, he mixes a change up. He was mostly fastball change early on in the first few batters. That's in, in the higher 80s. 
Um, mixes in a slider that's uh, 81 to sort of 83. He didn't really throw that a lot until after he hung that one. And then in the second, third inning, he was uh, heavily like change up slider fastball and was just sort of mixing it and sequencing it all differently. Then in the fourth inning, he dropped a splitter and he threw the splitter a few times. And I was talking to the Royals uh, scout and he said that that's actually a new pitch that he's added over the last, uh, I guess, like a couple of weeks or month so far in the season. I guess he added it with double A Binghamton. I didn't hear any reports about him using a, uh, a, a splitter while he was, uh, while he was in Port St. Lucie down in the Florida state league. So he looked phenomenal, very athletic, like a more athletic version of Dylan Tate with a lot more swagger, um, gets tons of ground balls. I think he got maybe two, uh, uh, double plays on weekly hit ground balls off the slider. That thing is like a ground ball machine. That slider, Lots of swings and misses on the fastball, um, you know, mixes that change up and well. I mean, he actually threw legitimately like the fourth, fifth, sixth inning. He got stronger. Uh, his best inning was probably the fifth or the sixth inning where I think he struck out a couple of batters back to back and got a ton, ton of swings and misses on a, on a, you know, three, three different pitches on the splitter, the fastball and that change up. Um, he's really, really impressive. Like, it, because the thing with him is he gets lots of weak contact. He throws strikes. He changes eye levels, he mixes his pitches, and he keeps like everything on the ground. There might have been only like one or two fa- uh, pitches that were hit hard all day, maybe one fastball, and then uh, that slider that he hung to McBroom. But yeah, I was behind home plate, and uh, all the scouts were impressed with him. Uh, the Royals and Mets guy were telling me that uh, you know over the last three starts, he's just looked better and better every single start. I think he's just about ready for a promotion to AAA. It wouldn't shock me if he made a start or two with the Mets. Uh, if at the end of the season, you know, early next season, I think that uh, he's he's a guy that's uh, you know definitely going into hyperdrive in terms of his prospect status. He's really taken a jump forward, being able to sort of um, round out his arsenal with a changeup and now the splitter for an, a second sort of swing and miss pitch to go with that changeup. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I can't say no much about Dunn. I know that we have a little group going on between uh, some of the some of the better prospectors I would consider in the industry between Jason and Panini, uh, Woodell and, and Matt Thompson in there and some other people as well. So I enjoy hearing a lot of your guys' thoughts. I think everyone in there really liked Dunn. So I, I definitely want to dig into him a little bit more before stating my opinion because you seem to have some definite background. I'm seeing him and stuff. So uh, love it. Dutch Justin Dunn, definitely keep an eye out for him. Keep an eye out, as you probably already know, everyone. Chris Paddock, again, I just want to mention um, a little short on my four and five here, but uh, third started for San Antonio. His case have finally come back. This was seems to be almost a consistent thing with some of the, the Padres arms, Ralph, which I've noticed at the lower levels, they seem to dominate strikeout-wise. I think it's happened with Michelle Baez and Adrian Marejon. When they get called up, there seems to be a slight dip, and then it kind of scoops back up. So it seems like there's always an adjustment period, whether they are exceptional at developing these guys once they hit a higher level like San Antonio, or whether it's just a simple matter of Midwest League and possibly Fort Wayne being a little more of a pitcher friendly league etc not really sure what it is entirely even maybe lake elsinore in the cal league but uh but this is good this is a good sign to see some of the k's back i i think we were getting some bonkers stats with him to the point chris paddock where we weren't necessarily sure like where the upside was i think me and you were looking at the stats and just like oh my god i just don't know where to rank him because we don't yeah. have a big sample he's coming off tj we don't know what the 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 cap is on innings but you look at the stats and you're like but he's got a plus plus pitch yeah you know? and he's got a 38 percent strike rate with like 
5% walk rate and I just like salivate. Like you have no idea what to do. And I just really liked getting a bigger sample. We're starting to get a little more of a realistic vision of him. I think he's still over a 9K per 9 guy, but I don't think he's a 15K per 9 guy. Probably, no. probably not even like a 12K per 9 guy, but I think he gets settled no. in nicely at like a, like a 10-ish, which I think is, again, that, that'd be really nice for him, I think. But it, again, he's a change of guy. So how he's many a bigger guy are, than I thought too. He like is. He is tall. Is, it, mm-hmm. But he's – but he's broader. He's a stronger built guy than he mm-hmm, was mm-hmm. You know, prior to the, the the TJ. So like a lot of these guys, and that was the case with uh, Bruce Dargatterall, obviously on the hitting side. Yeah, another guy good point. Scorching scorch hot. Where I think two hit games in seven of his last eight. Alex Kirilov. He's he's been awesome as oh, well. Oh baby. But anyway, Kirilov's the <laughs> <laughs> But Paddock again, another one of these high risers this year. Um, eight innings. I didn't actually excuse me disclose how the strikeouts have bounced back. Specifically, eight strikeouts in five and two thirds in his last start. Prior to that was seven strikeouts across 11 innings pitched. So, um, again, small sample we're working with here, but I definitely want to keep an eye on him in San Antonio. Um, he was playing with Fernando Tatis, who obviously got hurt. And um, I think Michelle Baez is there now as well. So that's this Padre system, man, is just unbelievable. So much fun to check out some of these teams and see Chris Paddock and others doing very, very well. So um, that is a fun, 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 fun farm system to follow. If you're interested in getting into any teams that you maybe aren't a big fan of, but you want to follow some of the guys, I think that, honestly, the the – Padres minor leagues is more fun to follow than their major league team personally. So uh, I highly advise everyone to do that. Ralph, who's your number five to end this show? So my number five is a guy that I feel I get higher and higher and higher on every single week because I was way too low on him coming into the season. And cause I thought it was just sort of system depth and a guy that was sort of playing over his head at lower levels. And that's Brandon Lowe of the Rays. But at this point, I think we sort of have to take him very seriously. I moved him into my top 100. He's jumped tremendously within that raise rankings uh, in that organization, which is very deep with prospects, particularly hitting prospects at the moment, including his brother, Nate Lowe, who's hit quite well. Um, but mm-hmm. since his promotion to AAA 40 games ago, like I said, this was going into the stats that I had pulled as of Wednesday night, um, slashing 314, 385, 648 with 13 homers in 40 games in the International League, not the PCL, it's going to be really interesting to see what this guy can do at the Major League level. He's been especially hot over his last eight games. He's slashing 355, 382, 839 with eight extra base hits. Not great defensively, so he's got a little bit of the Willie Calhoun syndrome, but I do think he's better defensively than Willie. Uh, But he's second base left field, so that's usually not a great sign. But maybe the Rays can sort of use that to their benefit and move him around like they use, they usually do as a chess piece. But the bat is legit, and the power is legit, and the contact is good. And he's got a pretty good approach. So I'm very interested in seeing if we do see Brandon Lowe this season. I know the Rays are notorious for holding these guys forever, but he's a college guy, went to Maryland. And uh, I'm like I said, I'm just really interested to see what Lowe can do at the major league level. By the way, that Maryland team a few years ago, was really interesting. They had Kevin Smith in that team, as well as uh, Brandon Lowe, and I think maybe uh, Andrew Betchcro- Betcholder. Bet- what Betchold. year? Uh, 2015, 20, was, or no, 20, 2016, 2016 Maryland team. Was that, was that Schwarin guys. too? Mike Schwarin? The, the uh, started for the I think, Sox, I think, maybe? I think Schwarin was, was on that team as well, yeah. That's a fun team then, yeah, you're right. Wow. It was a pretty fun team. It's it's funny to look back at that and sort of say, like, holy crap, yeah. like, I didn't Northeast team with that, that much team pedigree was, on it, yeah. Yeah, you know, um, or some guys that actually turned into something. But, yeah, I think it was uh 2015 team. Yeah, let me pull it up right now, and I'll tell you. Yeah, yeah. Brandon Lowe was on that team. Um, Lamont Wade was on that team. Wow. Who's in AAA. 
Uh, Schwarm was there too. Yeah. Kevin Smith, Brandon Lowe, um, Willie Rios, Andrew Betchold was on that team. Wow. Do, are you looking at, are you on the, the site right now? The Mike Schwarm picture looks hilarious. He has like no beard, but now he's like got a man beard. It looks like a, a completely different beard. person. <laughs> yeah. And they're, they're <laughs> he's like 12 years old in this photo. They got a bunch of arms <laughs> that are in like uh, a ball too. Like, five or six that were on that team. So yeah, that was kind of an interesting wow. ACC team back in 2015. So it's funny how many of those guys have turned into something, but Brandon Lowe certainly is out, definitely already out kicked his pedigree. Oh, for and sure. uh, he's a guy, I, th- I think you've got to consider potentially like a decent major league, a pretty decent major league bat. Like I don't think he's a utility only profile anymore. When, when you're playing 40 games in triple a and your numbers keep on getting better at every single level, that's indicative of a guy that's a pretty damn good offensive player. Um, Without a doubt. Usually it's only the special guys that get better and better at every level. And I never thought I would be saying that about Brandon Lowe six months ago, probably not even mm. four months ago. Um, but I think we're at that point now that y- you can't write off Brandon Lowe. The numbers have just been too good and he's done it at too many levels and, and just every challenge he's met. So what happens at the major league level, if the power's already ticking up at triple a, and he's going to get those juicy balls in MLB, you know? Just in time for uh, the new Ray Stadium. <laughs> that farm system, baby. That's a fun farm system. I think it's one of the it more is. underrated it ones is. for sure. Deep team. Um, some hope in Florida, even though there probably isn't too much hope for the Marlins. But it's, yeah, San Diaz. I think that's another guy I wanted to mention. He's hitting really well. Jorge, Jorge but, Guzman. Uh, yeah, Guzman's always been your boy, for sure, for sure. Um, Ralph, any final thoughts before we let the beautiful listeners go? No, thanks for listening for another week. I hope you enjoyed these uh, news and notes. We're going to have a Cape League article. I think maybe you know, to end up dropping Ooh. on Saturday because I'm not going to have any time to write tonight. So I'll have to write maybe tomorrow. But uh, a lot of content coming out. Keep your eyes peeled, your eyes open, and uh, subscribe to the po- Prospect Podcast if you don't already. Give us a nice review. Thank Please you. give us a nice review. Yeah. Check out, I have a column too on Mackenzie Gore. A um, little profile on him and his ECU coach, Cliff Godwin. Check that out. I posted, pinned to him at the top of my Twitter feed, at Lance Brosdow. Um, wrote that for Gaslamp Ball. So uh, check out some of the stuff we're doing. Me and Ralph always putting out awesome. good content. Take it easy, everybody.